0: You're listening to Pastor Ryan Couch at Calvary Chapel of Crook County as he teaches through the book of Luke. If you have your Bibles ready, let's join Pastor Ryan now. Luke chapter 4, we're going to look at verses 14 to 44 this morning. We've, uh, we've come to the place in the life of Christ where he's now beginning his public ministry. And we, we've seen uh, the events that have led up to this point of course uh, the precursor to Jesus's life and his ministry was John the Baptist and we saw his birth and, and the events that that surrounded that and and then of course the miraculous birth of Jesus and in the angel appearing to Mary prophesying of Jesus's birth and and who he would be and then the miraculous conception of Christ and and then the, the phenomenal birth of Jesus and the shepherds coming and praising him and Simeon and Anna testifying to who he is and then we saw Jesus uh, wowing the scholars in the temple and we weren't given a lot of details between his birth and the time he was 12 we, we see him thrust on the scene at 12 years old amazing the learned theologians of the day and then The next 18 years, from the time he was 12 until he was 30, we don't know much about him. But all of a sudden, we see him again. And he is there with John the Baptist. And he identifies with humanity by being baptized. And then the Father speaks audibly from heaven and says, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And then he was sent from that point, filled with the Spirit, into the desert. Where for 40 days and 40 nights, Jesus Fasted and was tested and tempted by the devil. And we looked at that last week. And then in verse 14, it says, Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee, and news of him went out through all the surrounding region, and he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. So he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up, and as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day, And stood up to read, and he was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written, Isaiah 49. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord." Then he closed the book and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all who were in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. So all bore witness to him and marveled at the gracious words which proceeded out of his mouth. And they said, Is this not Joseph's son? He said to them, You will surely say this proverb to me. Physician, heal yourself. Whatever we have heard done in Capernaum, do also here in your country. Then he said, Assuredly, I say to you, no prophet is accepted in his own country. But I tell you truly, many widows were in Israel in the days of Elijah, when the heaven was shut up three years and six months. And there was a great famine throughout all the land. But to none of them was Elijah sent except to Zarephath, in the region of Sidon, to a woman who was a widow. And many lepers were in Israel in the time of Elisha the prophet, and none of them was cleansed except Naaman the Syrian. So all those in the synagogue, when they heard these things, were filled with rage and rose up and thrust him out of the city. And they led him to the brow of the hill on which their city was built, that they might throw him down over the cliff. Then passing through the midst of them, He went his way. Then he went down to Capernaum, a city of Galilee, and was teaching them on the Sabbaths. And they were astonished at his teaching, for his word was with authority. Now in the synagogue there was a man who had a spirit of an unclean demon. And he cried out with a loud voice, saying, Let us alone. What have we to do with you, Jesus of Nazareth? Did you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be quiet, and come out of him. And when the demon had thrown him in their midst, it came out of him and did not hurt him. Then they were all amazed and spoke among themselves, saying, What word is this? For with authority and power he commands the unclean spirits, and they come out. And the report about him went out into every place in the surrounding region. Now he arose from the synagogue and entered Simon's house. But Simon's wife's mother was sick with a high fever, and they made request of him concerning her. So he stood over her and rebuked the fever, and it left her. And immediately she arose and served them. When the sun was setting, all those who had any that were sick with various diseases brought them to him. And he laid his hands on every one of them and healed them. And demons also came out of many, crying out and saying, "'You are the Christ, the Son of God.' And he rebuking them did not allow them to speak, for they knew that he was the Christ. Now when it was day, he departed and went into a deserted place. And the crowd sought him and came to him and tried to keep him from leaving them. But he said to them, I must preach the kingdom of God to the other cities also, because for this purpose I have been sent. And he was preaching in the synagogues of Galilee. Now there's three things that I want us to notice uh, quickly as we make our way through the text this morning. First of all, Jesus' popularity. Jesus' popularity, it's clear that Jesus was and is attractive. In, In verses 14 and 15, as Jesus leaves his time of testing and temptation in the wilderness, and he's thrust into public ministry, it says news of him went throughout all the surrounding Region in verse 37, and the report about him went out into every place in the surrounding region. Verse 42, when Jesus departed to a deserted place to just get away after days of ministry, after tireless serving others, it says the crowd sought him and came to him. Jesus is attractive. That's clear from the Word of God. It's clear from the Gospels. You, you can't read the Gospels and, and, and not notice that Jesus attracts people. Which makes me wonder about our own lives, in our own ministry, our own church, is that if Jesus is the focus of our life, of our church, of our ministries, that we too will be attractive. That, that people will be drawn to us, to our church to our ministries, whatever it is that we're doing. If Jesus is the the focal point, if he's the focus, people will want that. He's attractive. We don't have to draw people with gimmicks. We don't have to draw people by watering down the message. You guys, the message of the gospel is attractive to people. Jesus is attractive. He draws people to himself. It's what will draw people to our church, to, to the message. We don't have to, to change the message or, or to add to it somehow to make it appealing. It's amazing to me how, how that people are ashamed of the gospel as if we have to dumb it down or add to it or take away from it because for some reason it, it isn't attractive. It, 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 it repels people. No, that's not the truth. We repel people in our flesh. Churches repel people when they don't have Jesus as the focus because it just becomes a religion. It just becomes a duty. It's it's just a set of teachings. It's a waste of time. And and that's why today, I think, in our culture, we see this movement of people being attracted to Jesus just like they always have been. And maybe it's a, a Jesus of their own thinking. Of their own making. Very possibly that's the case. But Jesus is attractive, and that's why I think today we see people still being drawn to Jesus and still talking about Jesus, and the Bible still being the best selling book ever, and it always will be. And people having little Jesus bobbleheads and Jesus t shirts, and and Jesus still being very popular and on the tongue of many people. And yet the church is a place that, that people are, are intimidated by. And there's a book that's, that's recently written by a pastor named Dan Kimball that says, people love Jesus, but not the church. Why is that? Why is it that people like Jesus, but not the church? Now, again, I, I would preface that by saying, often it's a Jesus of their own making, And that when they see the teachings of Jesus, they are then given the choice of whether they still like Jesus or not because Jesus laid it on the line. But Jesus is attractive to people. And if we will present Jesus, you guys, we will attract people to him. Now, just like in the ministry of Jesus, many will leave. Many will depart because the the teachings of Jesus are difficult and they call for death to self. But it's Jesus that's attractive. He draws people to himself. Have you been drawn to Jesus? If you haven't, he he wants you to see him clearly. Are you drawing people to Jesus? Is your life attractive to others? It should be because Jesus should be flowing out of our life. Another thing we see in our text is Jesus' purpose. In verses 16 to 30 and then at the end of the, the passage in 43 and 44... We see Jesus' purpose. He's there in the synagogue in Nazareth, where he grew up, his hometown. And because the synagogues, the, the way their services were set in a synagogue is simply just the, the place of Jewish worship. The way that their services were set up, there was opportunity for a competent male to share. And so Jesus is there. He stands up. He asks for the scroll of Isaiah. He finds Isaiah 49. It wasn't broken into chapters and verses, obviously, at that time. But he finds Isaiah 49. And he begins to speak of his purpose, of who he is and why he came. And really, it's singular. It's singular in that the Spirit of God has come upon me at his baptism. You remember And why is that? Why is Jesus there? Why did God become a man? Why is he sent out, anointed by the Spirit to do what? To preach the gospel to the poor. That's really the singular purpose of why Jesus came. Now this word poor, certainly it speaks of an economic situation. And that's why I think that the gospel is that we're losing something if we're, if we're only bringing the gospel to people that have their lives together. Because the gospel is so appealing to people who are hurting. And certainly your finances are, are a way that, that really shape how you feel and how you feel about yourself. And in and, and this economy, people are hurting. And people are open to the gospel like never before. But this word poor, it, it's not only literal poverty economically, but it's figurative poverty in a spiritual sense. And that's why Jesus said, Blessed are the poor in spirit. Understanding your poverty spiritually. That you have nothing to offer God. That if you log on to your spiritual bank account, you will see that you are bankrupt. That your debt was more than you could ever pay and that you have nothing to offer God. And that's what you have to recognize. That's the place of humility that you have to come to in order to receive what Jesus is offering. He humbled himself, the God of the universe, by becoming a man. And now he says to you and to me, I want you to humble yourself, recognize your poverty, and submit your life to me. That's the singular purpose, really, of why Jesus came, to preach the gospel. And you guys, we are absolutely missing the boat. We are missing everything if we aren't preaching the gospel as the followers of Jesus Christ. If as the church of Jesus Christ, we aren't preaching the gospel. And that word preach today has become kind of taboo, that we don't preach Here's the thing. Call it what you want. It's semantics, really. You don't have to yell and scream and talk, you know, down to people as if you're better than them. That's not what preaching means. That, that's the connotation that we have in our mind. That, yeah, that guy's a preacher. He, he kind of yells and he talks about hell all the time. And, and it's just he's, you know, who's he mad at? You know, that's what we think of when we think of a preacher. But we're all preachers. It means to proclaim, to herald to blow the trumpet to announce man i've got some good news some amazing news you know when you have good news you're excited about it it's like you can't wait to tell somebody about whatever it is that you've just found out about maybe you just found out you're going to have a baby and man this is good news and you get the family all together and and you know you you ring the glass and i mean it's it, it's exciting we have amazing news. We shouldn't be ashamed. That's why Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. I'm going to preach it. Because we're all preachers. That's not just my job. It's your job. And there is a movement, especially in the Northwest, maybe not so much in Prineville, but but certainly in the metro areas of the Northwest, the Portland area, the Seattle area, there is a movement where churches are, are are really being drawn to not preaching, but having a conversation. Let's just get together and have a conversation about God. We're all on a journey. Let's just conversate about the things of God, as if it's just kind of open to however you want to view it. Now, here's the thing. I think having conversations about jesus and about the bible with people is amazing and i think we all ought to be doing that at starbucks or at the grocery store or on the street corner in your workplace we ought to be having conversations but the gospel time and time again in the new testament if you're interested Just get a concordance, a simple Strong's concordance, and look at the overwhelming amount of times the word preach or herald or proclaim is used in the New Testament. It will blow you away. It never says, hey, go conversate the gospel. Go just kind of very, very friendly-like, just kind of tell people about your journey. It says preach, herald. Proclaim time and again. That doesn't mean you have to be mad. It doesn't mean you have to yell. But it's a conviction with the way it's presented. Not in shame, not in uncertainty, but with conviction that, yes, this is true. And whether you believe it or not does not change whether it's true. Just like the fact that the sky is blue. You can say it's whatever color you want, but it's blue. It always has been. It always will be. You can argue if you want. Just like the guy I ran into on the streets of Hollywood who was convinced that he was 400 years old and that he was from a different planet. And as I began to tell him about the gospel, he was convinced that he had met Jesus in person. In fact, he was some relative of God himself. And he was 400 years old. And there was nothing that I could do to change his mind about that, but he was wrong. It wasn't the truth. You guys, you can believe whatever you want, but the truth of the matter is that the gospel, that God became a man and died in our place and is offering us a free gift of forgiveness and grace, it's truth, and we have to present it with conviction. And that's Jesus' purpose, to preach the gospel. And a part of preaching the gospel is what it brings, what it does in your life. It's amazing the gifts that the gospel brings. Jesus said it heals the brokenhearted. Maybe you have a broken heart this morning. Maybe you've been crushed by life. Your heart has been ripped to shreds by parents who didn't love you, by abuse, maybe by a, a relationship, a marriage that's gone bad, maybe children who have turned their backs on you, maybe... It's many other things, but we live in a society where people are brokenhearted, where people are hurting emotionally and spiritually, and in their soul, they hurt. Many of you have deep-seated wounds and hurts, and the gospel heals those things. The gospel heals your heart. In fact, Jesus wants to give you a new heart, a brand new heart, He says to proclaim liberty to the captives. Those that are just in bondage, in a prison, most of the time of their own making. Yes, in shackles of their own sin, of their own choices, of carrying around the repercussions and the consequences of terrible decisions. Maybe you identify with that. You feel like you're in a prison of your own making, maybe caused by drugs, Maybe caused by alcohol, maybe caused by illicit sexual activity, maybe, maybe caused by just driving your marriage into the ground by your own stupidity, isolating your children because of your selfishness. And, and God wants to free you from that, to proclaim to you liberty from your personal prison. He says to proclaim recovery of sight to the blind. Here's the truth, that apart from Jesus Christ, we're blind. We have blinders on to our own sinfulness, to the reality of the judgment that is coming. Everyone is just living as if... Tomorrow will be the same and everything is okay and, and I don't have to think about what will happen to me after I die. And Satan has put blinders on, but Jesus wants to remove those. He wants to give sight to the blind. Maybe this morning you're blind. You're blinded to the reality of your own sin. You're, you're blinded to the reality of hell and of judgment. And we and I would be doing you a disservice if I just came to you and I said, "You know, let's just talk about some, some pretty little things about life, and let's just give you a little pep talk, and let's just kind of give you a nice thought for the week, a little Dr. Phil Pat on the behind, and, and go, go team. Go, go get them. Have a nice week. I would be doing you a disservice if I didn't tell you about the reality of your sin and the reality of Jesus and the cross. And that Jesus suffered and took the wrath of God upon himself for you. You guys, that message never gets old. I'm as excited about that as I've ever been. I don't need anything else. That message is amazing. The message of the gospel. But maybe you're blinded to it. And he needs to to take those blinders off. And you have to allow him to do that. You have to say, God, show me yourself. Reveal yourself to me. Take the blinders off my eyes. He wants to do that. Jesus can do that for you. To set at liberty those who are oppressed. Literally, it means downtrodden, discouraged. Maybe you're discouraged and depressed, downtrodden with life. And he wants to to set you free from that. Maybe the, the past is so painful for you. You don't even want to face it, but you need to face it. You need to be healed from that. You need Jesus to take your past and to redeem it. You need hope. You need that, and it can only come from Jesus. And here's the amazing thing, is how are these gifts made real to us? How do they come about in our life? How do we have a broken heart that is healed? How is liberty given to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind? How is liberty given to those that are oppressed? How does this come about? By faith. And that's why Jesus said to these that were listening as he proclaims his purpose and who he is, and they're sitting there listening like, who in the world is this guy? Aren't you the son of Joseph, a common carpenter? You come in to our synagogue And you proclaim yourself to be the Messiah? And some of them were just blown away. They were amazed with the graciousness of his words. They were compelled in their heart. Somehow they couldn't explain it, but they were being drawn to Jesus. Others were questioning. Come on, dude. We saw you grow up. Who are you? You're from this little town. Now you come back here, and you want to tell us you're the Messiah? And they're scoffing, and they're mocking. And that's why Jesus said, look... Truly, there were many widows in the days of Elijah. Many. But it was only one. It was only one who was fed through the ministry of Elijah because she had faith. She had faith to continue to pour that oil and to knead that flour day after day when there wasn't any to be found. It should have been gone and dried up. She had one cake left to make. And Elijah told her, Go ahead and make it for all of us. What? If I make all of this right now, I'm not going to have any for my family tomorrow. i got to conserve it. No, make it all right now, and you'll have enough to, to continue. And she did that by faith. And for months, she was able to make her cakes for her family. She came to Jesus. She came to the Lord by faith. That's what God asks of you, to give your life to him, to lay it down. Certainly, there were many who had leprosy in the time of Elisha, but only one, Naaman. A man of nobility. A man who was used to telling other people what to do. A man who was used to having his ideas brought to pass. He came to Elisha and Elisha said, I want you to go down to the water. I want you to dip seven times and you'll be healed. That sounds ridiculous. I'm not going to do that. I'll look like a fool. But he did it. He had faith. And that's what God is asking you to exercise. His faith. The Bible says, For by grace You have been saved through faith. God offers you his gift of grace, of salvation. He offers you Jesus who took all of the demands of God upon himself. And he says, just put faith in me. Just trust me. The Bible says that apart from faith, Hebrews 11 verse 6, apart from faith, it's impossible to please God. Impossible. Abraham, 2,000 years before Jesus, before the cross, before the law was even brought into play, it, was, it says that Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him as righteousness. You see, Abraham looked forward to the cross, you guys. He, he didn't have to drum up righteousness through his good works. He didn't hope that, that maybe he, his good works would outweigh his bad. He believed God. He was saved by faith just like every person who has ever walked this earth has been saved. Don't think of it, Old Testament saved by works. Then God got real nice all of a sudden and decided to to grace us out. It's one unfolding story of redemption, all by grace. They look forward to the cross. We look backward to the cross by faith. Have you given your life to Jesus by faith? Have you said, Jesus, I've succeeded to completely drive my life into the ground. I've screwed it up beyond any ability of myself to fix it. I can't do it, but I trust that you can, and I give my life to you. That's faith. It's not some mysterious, you know, weird music playing, out-of-body experience. It's just very practical, receiving a gift, opening it up, taking it out, and appropriating it into your life. That's what God asks of you. Jesus' popularity, he was attractive. Jesus' purpose to preach the gospel. And this is what the gospel brings, all of these gifts. And it comes into our life by faith. And then lastly, we see Jesus' passion. In verses 31 to 41, we see Jesus meeting all of these different needs that we read about. The, the, the demon-possessed man. The, the mother-in-law of Peter. The multitude that come that need a touch. Jesus' heart is to meet needs. And every one of you this morning has needs. Maybe it's financial. Maybe it's emotional. Maybe it's relational. Maybe you need a job this morning. Maybe you need God to touch your marriage and to heal it. Maybe it's physical. Maybe you, you have some, some major physical issues going on. And you, whatever our needs are, Jesus wants to meet those needs. He's in the business of meeting needs not meeting wants. See, we get that confused and we think that God exists like a genie in a bottle. Just rub the bottle. Out comes Jesus. What are your wishes? Oh, that's, that's what you want? Okay, I'm now obligated to give you everything you've ever wanted and, and that God is some medium to financial prosperity and to physical health. That is not the case. Jesus will meet your needs as you come to him by faith. Jesus met the needs of a demon-possessed man in 31 to 37. The guy was out of his mind, absolutely littered with demons. And I think many times today we explain away the, the demonic and the supernatural realm. And I believe that many people are still ravaged by demons And yet we explain it away and we medicate people and and we hospitalize people. And many of these things are spiritual needs. But our society is too smart for that today. But but many people came to Jesus demon possessed and they needed to be freed from that. They needed Jesus' love because Satan has ravaged and ruined their lives with his hatred for them. And they need Jesus to come and to free them. And Jesus did that here, and He'll do that today. Jesus even met the needs of Peter's mother in law. I mean, hey, if Jesus will meet the needs of a mother in law, He'll meet your needs, right? I'm kidding. I, I love my mother in law. Most of the time. But Jesus met her needs. I mean, she was sick. And it's interesting, it says he rebuked the fever. The same word that's used in verse 41 when it says he rebuked the demons. Interesting. I don't, don't want to make a lot out of that, but, but that's interesting. I love that Peter's mother-in-law, immediately after being healed, what does she do? She serves. And you know what? Many of you have been touched and healed by Jesus. You've been restored. Your lives have been transformed. And now it's your opportunity to serve him. Immediately. There was no hesitation. She arose. She recognized that she had been touched by Jesus. And now she looked for people to serve. And that's your calling. Look for people to serve. Jesus met the needs of the multitude. People were sick with various diseases. They were demon possessed. Many people had needs. And he met their needs. That's Jesus' passion. Is to meet needs. He wants to meet your needs this morning. And so I'm gonna ask, um, just real quickly, we're gonna close in, in a song and I'm gonna ask that we would stand and that you would just ask Jesus to meet your needs this morning. That you would ask Jesus, whatever your need is, that you would ask Jesus to meet your need. And we're gonna have people up here to pray with you and by faith, you guys, by faith, reach out to Jesus this morning and ask him to meet your need. Whatever it might be, surrender your life to him and say, Jesus, you can meet my need, just like you did these people in the text. This is not some far-out fairy tale. This is truth and reality. And the same Jesus on the pages of the Word of God exists in our lives today and is as real as ever. And he rose from the grave and he wants to touch your life. And he wants to minister to you. Will you let him? stand and pray together and Jesus this morning we just offer our lives up to you Jesus we recognize our need for you and Lord I pray for every need that's being lifted up to you this morning Lord whatever it is that you would meet those needs that you would come in a powerful way and touch hearts and touch lives Lord God we thank you for the gospel and for the gifts that it brings Lord I pray that you would bring each of these things that you said was your purpose for coming, that, God, you would bring them into our lives as we just respond to you by faith this morning. God, do a great work. In Jesus' name, amen. You've been listening to Pastor Ryan Couch of Calvary Chapel, Crook County. For more information, you can write to us at P.O. Box 378, Prineville, Oregon, 97754. Thanks for listening, and God bless.